Hey everybody, this is Nick and Kim Stotzer from UMI. How are you? Hey. We are coming to you uh, from a very late Monday night. we did not get a chance to get this started earlier but by the grace of the lord we are just going to do this today uh this evening and we are going to pray that this comes across in a coherent and and cogent (laughs) manner um yes lord help us uh the the joys of having a very rambunctious two-year-old but um we are going to actually cover the subject today of hyper grace or false grace some folks call it greasy grace. Uh, ultimately, it borderlines, if not is the exact same thing as an old argument from uh, old Protestant argument from the time of Martin Luther called antinomianism. Uh, but that's uh, probably something we might not we might not even touch the phrase, but we'll bring in the meaning. Uh, largely, what we want to tackle is what is hyper grace. What are the what are the teachings of hyper grace or false grace? And there's many different versions, but what's the core subject matter that's that's covered? And then let's talk about the biblical understanding of grace, and hopefully, we'll weed out what it what a lot of these false teachings are that are in the body of Christ right now. So, Kim. I, I want to first come to you as our resident teacher. <laughs> there are two teachers now who well, are on this podcast. Well, I'm I'm much more the preacher. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I appreciate you your, get your teach on. I appreciate that very yeah. much, honey. I do. But let's be honest. You are the you're the one that goes to the Greek a whole lot quicker than me. <laughs> I, I'm trying to preach the point. And you're like, what is that in the Greek? <laughs> like, yes, you're the teacher. I am. I am a student. Students. Make- yes. 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 Yeah. Teacher. No, I, I've definitely become much more the the, the theologian in recent years, but yes. uh, but you are definitely one that wants to get to the meaning of the meaning of the meaning. <laughs> I do. I do want to. I really do. <laughs> but um, in that vein. What would you say is the meaning of this hyper grace, false grace, greasy grace message? That that's loaded. Um. Okay. Okay. So what I'll do is I'm gonna take all the popular doctrine and bring it back to the original word okay. for a second. Um. So what? And we're we're using the terms that opponents use. Opponents say greasy. Opponents say hyper. Proponents just say grace, right? Or they just say radical grace, right? Uh, or maybe even radical love. Uh, they don't say any of these terms, but it's been a concept that's been written about since the first century church, and got coined anti uh, antinomianism in the fifteenth century, and it's it's an exaggeration of the. Um, by grace alone, salvation message. It's it's exaggerating it into like a perverted a perverted doctrine that makes room for sin. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what do you mean? But when you mean by makes room for, what do you mean? I mean that it starts from a biblical place of Ephesians two eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay. So it starts from that place by 
grace through faith and then says, well, if it's a free gift and it's happened by grace, um, one, there's there's often a misunderstanding of what the word grace means, and they think it means mercy. Right. Well, that's a whole other subject. Uh, well, we so might tackle that subject. We might have to, but yeah. they're thinking, oh, so by grace, so they're thinking, so God's forgiven me, which is really what mercy means. And therefore, it's not, it's by, it's through this alone. It's not by anything I do, which is true. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. However, what the scripture points to is Jesus, as he said to the woman, who was caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. Yeah, he he said, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And that is really the condition that he's invited us all into. Not that if we sin again, we're out. It's not that. But over and over again, our sins are forgiven and we're given grace to walk in obedience, yeah. to be like Jesus himself. Yeah. And, he, and he encourages us to go and sin no more. So you would say that grace would be the divine enablement to walk as Jesus walked. It is literally the definition of grace includes divine enablement. Okay. Or being enabled by by the power of God to do something. And we know that we're called to follow Jesus. He says, follow me. (laughs) Take up your cross and follow me. So to say it's by grace that we are saved is to say it's by the divine enablement of God that we are saved. But you're saying it's mercy that forgives. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's mercy that sustains us. Are you saying it's mercy that sustains us? Or is it that what? See, Tell you, me. you said you weren't a teacher, but you were pulling some stuff out there. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, mercy is, if you, and, I, and yes, I Greek, okay? Yes, we did. We went back to the Greek. Go Greek, <laughs> go Hebrew. The mercy of God that you see in Psalms, the mercy that you see in, um, in the letters of Paul, the, the mercy that Jesus talks about, this is what is the characteristic of God that is forgiving us. Mercy. The blood of Jesus made atonement for our sins. Mm -hmm. It was in his mercy that he sent Jesus to die for us on the cross Mm -hmm. so that we would have this blood paid. Mercy um, is what removes guilt. Mm. So when God calls us to be merciful to one another, he's asking us to remove that stain of guilt that we have put on one another. Right. And not to say that the person didn't sin, but to remove the guilt from them, that the, the they would owe you something. That's what forgiveness is. Right. That's what mercy is about. Grace comes after mercy. It comes on top of mercy. and says not only has the guilt been removed from you, but by grace you are being brought into a new thing, a new life. You're given empowerment. And now not only are you no longer guilty for the past, but you're empowered by God to walk into a new future. And so with this, which is called hypergrace or grace, what it does is it's actually like anti-grace. Because instead of saying, you've received mercy from God, now get up and go walk in newness of life. You can do everything he's called you to. He said, be holy as I am holy. You can do that because of this grace. What this um, antinomialism says, I'm sorry, antinomianism, which nobody calls it. Uh, says (laughs) this type of grace message is um, well because of faith and grace you've been freed from the law which is kind of scripture out of context because there's Jewish law and then there's the moral law of God that's echoed in the new covenant even after Jesus has been resurrected 
and the Holy Spirit's been released. Um, if you're unsure of what you do and do not need to keep, look in the letters of Paul. There's not a single letter that he wrote to the churches after the resurrection of Jesus and the release of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. There's not a single letter that doesn't include what a believer should not be participating in. Right. And those in in the place of grace, we are given grace to no longer walk in bondage and to do those things. Now, I want to touch on that for a second because uh, this hyper grace teaching or this false grace message, I've heard it in many different forms. Uh, certainly some people would say, well, of course you don't sin anymore. That's the whole point of grace right. to keep you out of sin. And of course, this hyper grace is that. So if you do sin, it, the blood covers. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. And you just move on, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like the lighter form of the hyper grace message. Mm-hmm. Now, the other heavier form or the far, far left version. Right. You know, would be the you don't need to confess sin because sin no longer exists under Christ. Right. And that because it doesn't exist under Christ, you can go on sinning and the blood covers your sin. Right. So you can fulfill your passions. And because he loves to forgive, he's going to always forgive you. Right. Regardless of your confession. Yep. Or, or not. That's what some believe. Right. So this is what I want to to talk about then, because if that would be true, then the book of Corinthians would no longer exist. Right. First and second. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's written to a rebellious church that is participating in pagan rituals, Mm -hmm. participating in immoralities that were abounding. Kind of like America. Yeah. Kind of like America. Yeah. Um... Or at least kind of like the American church. Right. We'll just say that because there are some things in the body that aren't even named among the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Very much like the church at Corinth. And we can go into that in another subject and at another time. Yeah. Because uh, anyways, we'll, we'll just let's we'll, cut let's that off continue. for now. Let's table that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, I just want to hit this real, real, real quick. <laughs> because I guarantee – because here's – and saints, please hear my heart in this. This is not a church bashing uh, a statement, but if a CEO treated the business that they've been over the way some pastors treat their congregations, mm. they would have been fired many years ago and probably sued by that organization. Yeah. Because there's been massive amounts of embezzlement, uh, pastors that have uh, slept around on their wives and had babies outside of what, I mean, this, the, we all know the, 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 the bad, but that stuff isn't even named among the Gentiles on a consistent basis. Why is it that the body of Christ stays silent on the subject? But that's for another time. But anyways, I say that to say, I say that to say, we are, we are now talking about Paul entering into a situation in a church in, in, in Corinth where this hyper-grace message should apply. But Paul very much speaks the exact opposite of every form of hyper-grace message. Mm. Now, I want you to touch into, I mean, a little bit about what Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth 
with all the immoralities, this man who's, sleep, who's sleeping with his father's wife, um, all obviously the sexual immoralities that have come and crept into the church, uh, men and women just having, uh, is it, which, is, which is essential, essentially orgies, which is, was their pagan ritual under the worship of Diana. So all of this is happening inside the, the church house, so to speak. And Paul comes in to correct that. So I would love for you to just take a moment and parallel the two, the hypergrace message, what the hypergrace message would say to the church at Corinth mm. versus what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Because I think it's a perfect and applicable, um, applicable uh, um, uh, sentiment to say, here you are with a, with a rebellious church that is actually addressed in Scripture. Go ahead and apply what 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 this hyper grace message would say to that rebellious church. Okay, well, um, I I love the Bible. Let me just say that as we talk, we're talking about First Corinthians five specifically. Well, the first the, book the whole of, book, the book First Corinthians. But yeah, I, I think or the concept of the of the of the books written to this church because of what's going on. I, I believe that. When it comes to love, because this whole concept of grace is a part of love. There's no grace apart from love. Right. And we know that God is love. And I, the, the, the reason that the scriptures are so important is because if we're left to ourselves, we will make up a meaning of what it means to love that's different than who God is and what God shows us that love is. Everything that God does is love and loving. And, uh, that's why I love the Bible, because sometimes when the Holy Spirit gives a, a, a challenging word through one of his servants, we would have called it loveless mm-hmm. or graceless right. if he didn't do it right. first. And then we right. have proved that it wasn't so. Right. And so in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the whole letter is really a correction. Right. And Paul uses language by the Holy Spirit through Paul uses language that we would that many of us wouldn't use even who don't sus- subscribe mm-hmm. to the radical grace or hyper grace however yeah. you call it yeah um to the looser thing um and so he, I'm going to just read what Paul said okay okay um and in this particular uh context he just he just said, "All right, forget it. I'm just, I'm just gonna read it. You want to hear it? You, you don't really have a choice, podcast listener. You're about to hear the scripture, which is a great thing for you. Okay, this is a treat. Here we go. So this is First Corinthians five and one. Uh, Paul's talking to them. He's, he's in the middle of his flow here, and he says, "It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans." So get this. There was a time when it was surprising to hear that there was sexual immorality amongst the church. That's a whole nother topic, okay? That's amazing. And he says, and of a kind that's not tolerated among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. That's what Paul says. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced a judgment on the thing, on the one who did such a thing. 
when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And he goes on talking about this and really corrects them for the arrogance of thinking that they're walking in Christ while such things are happening. And he's telling them, listen, confront him. And if he won't stop, deliver him over and pray for him so that he can walk through the process and kind of see, you know, what the grace of God is and what he should choose. And this is considered a really hard word in our church. Um, yeah, because we don't kick people out anymore. Like, we don't say, like, listen, bro, you can't do that here. You can't you can't do that to, to one of our families here. You can't treat people that way. You know, we don't we don't kind of stand up in that way. It, the culture now is everything goes, we're tolerant of everything. And Paul is saying, that, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, that is not the way of Christ. Again, we don't know love until he shows us love. Right. And love is, you're going to let this brother walk into his destruction, mm-hmm. let his father's wife and his father, let them all just be ruined rather than stand up and say something. And it's something else. Um, so there are some teachers today who would say, listen, God loves him, which he does. And um, there's a spectrum. The lighter side of the spectrum might say, it's not my place to bring that up. You know, his sin, he knows he's sinning and that's just what he's doing. And it's, you know, if we love people, we don't need to bring up their sin. They already feel bad. That their job is to be the light. And now listen, some people don't feel bad. A lot, most people feel justified in their sin. There's a small fraction of people who actually are having a hard time sleeping at night because of what they're doing. And they're mostly saved and backslidden. There's a, most people on earth are just fine with their sexual immorality. They feel like they're justified in it. And so we kind of fool ourselves into not having conflict because we got the fear man, you know? Mm -hmm. So on the light side, one might say, okay, that's wrong. But listen, don't say anything. If he wants to sleep with his stepmom, you know, we just need to love him. And our job is just to love. And if he Mm -hmm. sees enough love, then maybe one day he'll say, wow, there's so much love here. I'm just going to stop sleeping with my stepmom. Right. Okay? That's one end. Which And the reason that that's counter-biblical is because the Bible is clearly saying, actually, brother or sister in Christ, it's your job to pray. First of all, pray for them. And secondly, you need to be open to saying, hey, you know, I'm not judging you as if I have a law to uphold that I wrote, but... The Lord is not pleased with this, man. This is not okay. You know, again, not making up my own judgments Mm because that's important. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Mm -hmm. But he also said, know a tree by its fruit. Meaning I can take what God has already said and clearly see if something is good or bad based on what God has to say about it without me judging on my own. That's another topic. You can listen to the week before on the podcast for that one. But, um, but this, 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 and then the far end, the very far end of this, um, interesting grace teaching that's going around right now would say he is perfectly within his rights to sleep with his stepmom. They would say, you know what? At the end, everybody, there are even some who say God's going to forgive everybody anyway, whether they accept Jesus or not. So 
it doesn't matter. Right. Sin, don't sin. You know, if you, they say literally, if you stop sinning, you'll be living a better life. And that's what God wants for you. But even if you don't stop sinning, you're going to go to heaven. So it doesn't matter. And that's kind of the far end. That's of, the very far end of the, of the spectrum. Of where the spectrum goes. Yeah. 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 I, 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 it, I think it's, I think it's interesting um, because when you're talking about this particular situation and it's just the pastor's heart in me, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, you know, this brother did get talked to. He rejected the being talked to. This brother did get, you know, um, brought into amongst the leadership. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there was a process to the point where he's getting removed from the congregation. And the first thing I think of is, you know, culturally today, we're we're really quick to say, you know, well that that pastor's a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, he needs to go out, you need, you know, mm-hmm. remove the pastor, except when the pastor finds the wolf in sheep's clothing amongst the congregation, and sit like this 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 man is mm-hmm. clearly predatory, right sleeping with his father's wife. Yeah. And I've seen, and I and I've seen it many times. And and I in most of the times that I've seen this reaction from a congregation or from church members, even churches that I've been a part of, yeah. have ascribed to this hyper grace teaching in some way where they get offended the moment the pastor addresses the sin of this particular man who or well this or woman or, or whatever. Woman or whatever um, that's been so severe, it's affecting people within his in his congregation. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like no, let the wolf stay here, and he might become a sheep. Mm-hmm. It's like no, you don't change species like that. <laughs> it's interesting how, and that's that is the nature. I think that is the issue with. That's why we have to cling to scripture, right? And and here's how you know a doctrine. In my experience, here's one of the the red signals. That a theology is got leaven in it. You know, Jesus talks about be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and, you know, which is hypocrisy. But here's how you know that there's something not quite right about it. Any doctrine that tells you to rely less on scripture. Right. It's kind of a blinking light for me. And I don't mean that you shouldn't take scripture and bring it into an experience with a person. Jesus, I'm not talking about that. Right. Or that scripture shouldn't turn into prayer or or meet or worship, you know, songs or that scripture shouldn't even become a conversation with Holy Spirit where you ask him when to apply it. Sure. All of that. But doctrines that say you don't really need to listen to the scripture as much. Those doctrines That is an open door for deception because as soon as you move away, because the spirit wrote the scripture. So as soon as you move away from what he wrote, Mm -hmm. you move into a place where you have to rely on your ability to perceive in a moment and on what you believe. And if you've been deceived because you got some unclean desire and some little voice whispered a perversion that told you you could have it if you do this, Mm -hmm. then we're compromised and no one can tell us, you know, that we're wrong. And that's a dangerous place to be. And that's part of the challenge with uh right and because I, I think I think what people what people see and here's and here's a falsehood that's been brought into the church that applying scripture is legalism, mm-hmm. and that's not legalism it's true that's a that's a deception of the enemy the legalism is actually putting burdens upon people 
mm-hmm. uh, according to what you believe the law should be or say or in addition to. Yes. And so it's like it, it would be as if I would say, for example, to um, uh, 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 two, two, two singles dating, a man and a woman dating each other, and I walk up to them as a pastor and I say to them, you should not hold hands. Well, why? Because it's it's going to lead you to have sex. Well, that's legalism. Right. That's not true. Yeah. You know, it's not going to lead them down the path of unrighteousness and right. into into some yeah. horrible lust-filled scenario. Right. That's not the law of God. That's not the law of God. However, if I know that this particular man that I've counseled has has, has an issue with lust mm-hmm. and he's confessed to me that when he touches his girlfriend, it 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 takes him to a place that's not healthy for his heart. Mhm then I would counsel him, then maybe you should consider mm-hmm. not holding her hand right now. Right. Two very different things, same and mm-hmm. one's legalism, one's grace. Right. And and I think and I think that that's a very important distinction as we talk about legalism mm-hmm. because people often go to this hyper grace message because they the, and you talked, you touched, you touched on it earlier because they've had experience with legalism, and legalism is not the application of scripture; it's the, it's the additions unto the scripture Absolutely. that man put in place. So, both to allow for sin, mm-hmm. or to try to keep from sin. That's good. You have to define legalism so that you know. It's like you got to clearly know all the figures on the board. You know, and I think legalism, when Jesus talks about it, not I think, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he brings it up a couple times. And one thing he says to them is, you're in error because you don't know the word. He tells them, you you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and the scriptures speak of me. And so he was talking about them um not looking to God, but just looking to laws. Right, right, right. Right, and that separation in that. And there's some people who who would remove God, whose religion is everything but God. You know, it's a program, it's a club, it's a part, it's a party, it's fried chicken, it's whatever, but it, it doesn't involve actually being right. with God. And so because they, they made this whole experience devoid of seeking the Father, uh, who they didn't call Father, but of seeking God, when God in the flesh came, they couldn't even recognize him mm-hmm. um, because it became about position seeking, competition, power, uh, a social ranking, you know, all these things that money. easily can't money influence because yeah. um, they even have political influence through that right. instead of about seeking the person of God, God's heart, God's faith, knowing God. You touched on. You said something one time. I think that's probably going to stick with me till Jesus comes and gets me. But it was it was actually on the subject matter. We were talking about uh, Jesus turning over the tables in Jerusalem at mm. the temple, and what I had never thought of, and the teacher and you did, was you you were saying this was the Passover. Yeah. This was the high holiday. Thousands of people came. Mm-hmm. It, it's equivalent to a mega church. It's as if Jesus walked into a mega church, started turning over tables, 
and whipping people out of that mega church, saying, "You've made my father's house a den of thieves." Mm-hmm. And I, and and it's it's that application of the father's heart. It's like this is where legalism is is perfectly depicted in the heart of the father towards it. It's like mm-hmm. you this you are now making people buy their sacrifice in the house and robbing them. Mm. Yeah. Applying your pressures upon them yeah. for the blessings from the rabbi. Yeah. Rather than it being all about the father. Right. And all about his love for them. Yeah. And all about the this the, even in the law. That's the thing. This is before New Covenant. Yeah. This is before the blood. This is before resurrection. Yep. The cross. He's still saying, You've missed it so far, you've made this house a den of thieves. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go. No, no, no. But his zeal, you know, right. we talked about Jesus having a zeal for his father's house. And that's part of it. And another time he talked about legalism to the Pharisees. He talked about how they didn't keep God's laws. Mm-hmm. And yet they made up their own laws based on human tradition. Right. And they were worried about keeping those. Right. <laughs> right. And. And therein is the difference, again, with legalism. God is saying, you know, not to lie. You know, not to not to uh, to be sexually immoral. You know what I mean? To, to Look, have a covenant between one man and one woman and make families right. and be faithful to each other mm-hmm. and love. You know, the stuff he's saying to do, how easy it is to people want to cast off and say, oh, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And then... Make up new laws, <laughs> like what color to wear on what Sunday, and you or, know, or that you have to wear the suit, you have to wear the the, the dress because you pants can, are from the devil, or you cannot wear the suit. Right? If you you're old religious, if you wear a suit, you have to wear jeans to church. Right? You know, it's like just a new law. That's right. just I'm telling you, there's nothing less religious about you must not wear a suit than there. It's not less religious than you must wear a suit. Right. You know, it's the same thing. Right. I remember uh, we were preaching at an, a church that was very hip. And I remember telling them, guys, you, because at the time this word was not as burnt out, guys. But at the time I was like, you know, you can be religious with swag, right? Right. Like just because y'all look fashionable doesn't mean it's not religious. Right. You just have your own form of it. Gators used to be fashionable too, you know? Right, right, Pinstripe right. suits used to be fashionable too. And the next generation will have their own. But it's so easy to decide on a form. And that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's a form of godliness. Right. It's an exterior. Right. And we make a law out of the exterior looking a certain way. Instead of doing what God is doing, which is he's looking at the heart. Right. And that is the thing with legalism. We're going to make it all about the exterior. Make up laws that God isn't even talking about and put shame on people if they don't live up to those things. Amen. You know, and I, I want to I switch gears a little bit. Same vein, but I just want to switch gears a little bit. Different lens, different perspective. Yes. Slightly different scriptural topic. But what I often hear from the hyper grace or the false grace uh, disciples, so to speak, is they always say Jesus walked with sinners. Mm. And I hear it even amongst those that aren't aren't necessarily hyper grace. Yeah. And they use it oftentimes as an excuse to be in the world. And they say, well, I'm in it and not of it. 
you know, yeah, I go to the nightclub, yeah, I do this, yeah, I do that, but it's because, you know, there needs to be a light. Now, I'm all for, let me, let me get this very clear, I am all for a man or woman of God being empowered by the Holy Spirit in grace mm-hmm. to go into any dark place. I don't care if it's a, a club on Hollywood Boulevard or a cave in Indonesia to pull out a child from sex slavery. Whatever that dark place is, yes. when divine enablement is there to go, you go on a mission from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Where I take um, exception to this thought process is, hold on a second. Jesus walked with sinners, but he stayed in his father's house. Jesus went into the tax collector's home to eat with him. But this was not about partaking of sin. Mm -hmm. This was about calling out unto righteousness. Mm -hmm. He stayed in the synagogue, stayed in the word, rose up early to pray. Let us not pervert the person of Jesus as as a man without sin. And say, but he loved the sinner. Yes, he loved the sinner, but he was calling the sinner out of right, I mean, out of darkness and That's into right. light. And I and and I and I find this and I, and I find this very troubling to me that this that this hyper grace message is thrusting people into darkness with being ill equipped mm-hmm. for for what's for what they're entering into. Yeah, and and then justifying the sin that ultimately follows with, well, the blood covers. I agree. And there's no repentance. Yeah, I agree. There, There is a very big gap in the theory of Jesus loves sinners. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Jesus loves sinners. I'm a sinner. In the, Jesus in the, loves In me. the thing of Jesus hung out with sinners. Right. Because hung out is not in there. Right. And I, I want to say this clear. I feel like I'm going to say this 50, 100 times in the, in the coming years. But... Jesus did not spend years in the clubs no. or in the sinful places building relationship while doing sinful like things to get to a point where he shared himself with them. Right. Jesus was traveling in ministry during those years. He was not spending time in those places. He went in, mm-hmm. he preached the gospel of the kingdom to them, sitting with them. They repented. Look at every instance of Jesus with sinners. You never just see him drinking. You never see him. You always see him talking about the kingdom and you always Mm -hmm. see them repenting. Yeah. And so when we take it and say that means we need to hang out and do things that are contrary Mm -hmm. um, or well, everybody else in the room is getting high, but I just wasn't. Right. And pretend like that's the same thing as being there. (coughs) I mean, listen, if at the end of the night people start repenting. Amen. Amen. But the idea that we're just going to keep subjecting ourselves to stuff that we have weaknesses in, right? Especially, um, it's just it doesn't line up. Jesus was Jesus was a traveling missionary, so to speak, and when he was in that town, <coughs> he would spot that one and say, "I'm coming to your house tonight. Bring your friends," and they bring all their rowdy friends, mm-hmm. and Jesus would kick back with all of them and say, "Hey, the kingdom of God is at hand." Right. Just like he did with everyone else. And God wants you. He doesn't care about your past. Right. I'm sure he gave the best 
I wish I could hear Jesus preach. And he just showed the love of God was for them. <laughs> he knew all their griminess and they just went and repented. Right. And, and the power of that message is only magnified by the legalism in the synagogue. Right. So it, it and, and, and that's anyways, I'm sorry. I'm just. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, he was so different than them, but yet. He didn't go get prostitutes with them. Right, right, He right. wasn't drunk with them. <laughs> right. You know, let's not pretend. He wasn't, you know, there was, Jesus was totally righteous. So if you're putting yourself in situations where you're friends with the sinner, and therefore you have to uh, condone sinful things. Right. Jesus never condoned sin, and he never participated. And I I'll, think that's important. I also want to add that silence is also condoning sin. Like if you just stay quiet, you know, while everybody around you, right. and that's not saying you. It, once folks start just wiling out, you need to be like, y'all are sinning, I'm getting away. No. That's <laughs> not what I mean. But, you know, when the Christian in the room around a bunch of unbelievers is, let's say, perfect example, I, part of the reason why I was initially um, why why I initially rejected Christianity before I became a believer was because I was selling weed to believers and it's like you got the same problem I got why would I want whatever it is you have Mm -hmm. you obviously are in the same position as me right so and they would tell me to come to their church like come to my church I got a great church I'm like you smoke weed with me (laughs) <laughs> what exactly do you have that I need? Because we're in the same place. We're in right the now. same place. <laughs> yeah. You got no freedom and I'm trying to break free. Right. And so so there's there's the I forget I figure where I was going now that I just said that. But anyways, my point is my point is this. It's like there has to come there has to come a a a, a reality check that when you are around unbelievers let us be clear that you are not in agreement. You love them. You want to be around them and, 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 and win them to Christ. Be in relationship with them. Right. You know, yes, you know where they are. Yes, you love them. I get all that. And yes, you're in relationship. But let it never be mistaken that you're okay with it. Right. Yeah, that you're okay with their wiling out so to speak not not as if you were like a bipolar christian right that on the one hand you love god and on the other hand you don't care what he says exactly yeah. absolutely absolutely i, I want to go scripture i don't know if it's okay yeah of course if i is. do this but i think if somebody's listening this long then they're caring about this and before we all get too tired us and them um the uh just bringing in some scripture as it relates to grace and as it relates to law and uh, the moral laws. You know, in Judaism, there were ceremonial laws and like societal laws, and then there were moral law. And what you see is in the New Testament, the only thing that comes over into the new covenant are the moral laws, you know. Um, <coughs> and you can, again, you can find those in every letter written to the churches. And, but I, I just want to, I want to point out that another verse that's used to justify a, a type of grace that really isn't supported by the balance of scripture and what verses are around it. So, so one of the popular verses they use is in Galatians 5, 
and it's verse 18 and it says, but if you are led by the spirit, in fact, by the way, this whole chapter is often used, but usually only preached in pieces. Uh, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Again, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And so the premise there is because we now have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to, we, there's no laws for us. You know, many believe we can just trust the spirit in us and we don't need to try to observe anything. Um, but what's interesting is the verses right before and after it, which say, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which means even though we've been born again, we still have fleshly desires. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, you know, at least not if you've been saved more than a day. Uh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry and it's going to go on to talk about things that those who don't repent of these things won't enter the kingdom of god and this is a post-resurrection post-blood of jesus statement that if we can go on sinning in these ways, we're not entering the kingdom of God. Perhaps we never received him. Perhaps we received Christ and got bitter and jaded by getting hurt somewhere along the way. And ultimately we go back and reject his leadership. Now the Lord is wise because he keeps calling us back to himself. And I just want to say this really quickly. There is no point after we receive Jesus at which we are no longer subject to God's rules quote unquote god is always going to be holy he's eternal the bible says he's the same yesterday today and forever so he's not going to stop being holy he's not going to stop having his moral law they're going to be the same psalms 119 verse 160 says all your words are true all your righteous laws are eternal so that means when all of this is over and jesus is returned and we're in the next age Guess what's still going to be there? God's righteous laws. Right. They're still going to be there. It's still going to be that he's true and all his people speak the truth. It's still going to be that there's no lying, no thievery allowed. Um, in Revelation 21, 23 through 27, I'm not going to read the whole thing. And actually, if you haven't studied eschatology, it might kind of make you feel like, whoa, like what is really going on? But literally... The Bible talks about how things are going to be in the next age and on the new earth when it's been set up. And it, and it literally says that nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So again, even when this whole thing is over and Satan's in the lake of fire and the demons are gone and there's no more battle over good, evil, light and dark on the earth and everybody who's going to be saved is saved. All of that's over with. There's still not going to be any falsehood. There's still not going to be any stealing. You know what I mean? It's like the holiness of God is going to permeate us and change us. We're not going to get to just be vile. Like, you mean he's the same yesterday, today and forever? And we... <laughs> are becoming like him. Come on. He's not becoming like us. Yeah, and, and, and for me, and, and I, I'm going to just throw this in here because it w what I see is that there is no way, and this seems to be a tad off, an offshoot, but there's no way you can have hyper grace 
and not at some point along your line of reasoning, not adhere to a replacement theology at some point. Mm. Because there's, because without grace, without the what the divine enablement of God, the biblical grace, yeah. you, you'll never understand fully the importance of the Jewish people, the importance of the state of Israel, the importance of the Lord's enthronement in Jerusalem forever. At some point, that, that becomes illogical in your mindset because grace is about not the divine enablement of God. Right. Grace is about you being forgiven in sin. Right. So there goes, your, right. you know what I'm saying? Which is what mercy is. Right. In this, that, that they call hyper grace. Okay. In this false grace, I'm just going to call it false. There is no grace. It's grace is redundant. Mercy remove guilt. So what is grace? Right. Grace is not also to remove guilt. Guilt's done with mercy. Literally, if grace is not enabling you to live in obedience, to become holy, to take up a divine nature, to walk as God walks. The scripture says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's not going to suddenly condone darkness. He's not going to say you're one with me. Go ahead and be half dark. That's not it because in him is no darkness at all. We're going to be with him. We got to let go and walk away. But here's the thing. We're walking away from darkness. If we're not given grace to walk in the nature of God on earth, which means rejecting sin and evil and darkness and obeying what he's called us to in his word, then what is grace for? This is how you know it's carnal and demonic, the perversion of it. Then grace is for better jobs, nicer cars, more money, Mm -hmm. sometimes fame, getting the perfect person to use to be our filler in our relationship. Right. Grace becomes for popularity. Grace becomes for a more comfortable life. Grace becomes for selfish consumerism mm-hmm. and not for serving and for loving and for dying to ourselves and for living holy. It's like if, if, if the only thing your grace is empowering you to do is self-serving, then you know that's not the grace that's from God. Because the example that he gave us in Jesus was a selfless love. Well, that is biblical love. That's agape. You know, but... Amen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's... I I really wish we could have more time to get into servanthood, to get into uh, the the, the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, to get into... Um, humility to get into all of these things because there is no way you can go on sinning and say you love God. Right. If you look at the span of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, Mm -hmm. look at the person of Jesus, behold him and his beauty and majesty and then say, I'd rather sleep with him. It's just impossible. Or he or she who is not my, my, my husband or my wife. You know, or the whole list of other things men and women can do under this false hypergrace message. There's just no way. There's no way. You, 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 you. Anyways, it just breaks my heart to see so many well-meaning, uh, sincere people fall into this w- web of lies 
that ultimately will lead to a falling away when the Antichrist shows up and that sin becomes so prevalent that they take a mark because they see no issue because the Antichrist isn't going to say, don't worship Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's just going to say, worship Jesus, but follow me. Right. Do what you do. Go to your church. He's going to say, go to church. Yeah. And then come back and call so-and-so. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very much already in line with the hyper grace or false grace message. Yeah. And the in the unknowing and the unknowing lover of Jesus, who's in line with this teaching, will absolutely be like, "Well, Amen." I don't know what what's wrong with these other Christians. They're caught up in legalism. Matter of fact, hey, I know where so and so lives. Yeah, you can go talk to them yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why they're not taking what they're, you know, whatever it is, you know, that you that you're that you're selling because I, I I love it. Right. You know, and then henceforth <laughs> the fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah. But anyways, I, I want to close this time out in prayer. And Kim, I'd like you to pray today. Okay. I was going to, I was going to, this scripture, I was actually going to pass it to you. You want me to, yeah. You know what? Let's, let's read this scripture and this will be our prayer. You know, this is first John two. Mm-hmm. We're going to read this and then we're going to bless this and in, in, in close this out in prayer. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, Father, we just thank you. Um, Apparently I'm praying. (laughs) We just thank you for this time in discussing your grace. And Lord, even as this scripture just boldly proclaimed the the divine enablement of God to walk like Jesus, who's perfect in every way, we ask you to show us every area of our life where we need to repent and turn and run to you that we might receive mercy in the forgiveness of our sins and grace to look like your son. Mm-hmm. And Father, for every person that is under this deception of false grace, we ask you for mercy upon them, that they would have a breakthrough of wisdom and revelation to see that the outworking of faith is not legalism, that Faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. That your word is divinely inspired, holy, perfect, pure and true, and that it is worthy to be exalted above emotion, above feeling, above ideologies and philosophies that don't line up with what you say. And so, Father, for all of us, we just thank you 
for who you are. We say we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Until next time, family, God bless.